This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 132 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Broadcast recently interviewed Steve Addison about his upcoming book, The Rise and Fall of Movements. And in this episode of the podcast, you can find the recording of that interview. There'll be full notes on everything that Steve said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 132. So here is Steve Addison. Well, uh, welcome to the broadcast podcast uh, today. Uh, my name is Tim Simmons uh, from Christchurch, Manchester, and uh, I am with... Um, Steve Addison today, um, talking about Steve's new book, um, which is called The Rise and Fall of Movements, um, which uh, I've just uh, had a great time reading this book and really interested in our conversation today. Um, Perhaps, Steve, the best way to start is to kind of give a few headlines of what uh, the book is about. So you talk about characteristics of a multiplying movement and the life of a movement. Perhaps you want to give us a, a couple of headlines of those two things, and then we can kind of get into talking about this idea of how movements rise and fall. Okay. Well, uh, and thanks for that, Tim. Um, so we sort of make our start by just just jumping into where it all began with Jesus at his baptism and wilderness temptation. And this was the launch of the Christian movement, the movement that, that he started and continues to lead. And um, so I looked at that and thought, well, what, what's the essence of this thing? And just looked at those two stories that preceded the launch and asked, well, what does that mean for us today? And especially the rise and fall of movements. And there were no surprises. You know, Jesus is the son of, uh, a loving son of the father who is obedient to his living word. Uh, Jesus is a man under the uh, dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And then finally, he's committed to the core missionary task of laying down his life to start uh, a movement that would multiply disciples and churches all over the world. So that's sort of the heart of the book is actually just those two stories of where it all began. But realizing that, you know, the degree to which we're in this life and ministry of Christ, the the word, the spirit and the core missionary task is, you know, the, the deeper we're in that, a movement is going to be on the rise and moving forward. Um, the more we drift or deny that identity in, in, in Christ's life and ministry, then movements over time um, not only decline, but eventually they, they decay. Um, so, yeah, looking at what's the heart of a movement um, and why do they rise and fall? So <clears throat> in terms of identity, you talk about the, that, that seems to be the prime point for you when that shifts the whole thing begins to struggle. So um, I think, which is interesting to read, uh, just I think in the West, perhaps we are much more strategically minded and actually the strategy becomes something of the identity. Even like, so you talk about 
your seven characteristics of multiplying movements, word, spirit, and mission is identity. And then strategy, pioneering leaders, contagious relationships, rapid mobilization, adaptive methods. And as I was reading, I was thinking, actually, pioneering leaders, contagious relationships, those two can really become identity in many ways that actually I know the movement I'm part of would say uh, that we are very relational and that Mm. becomes part of our identity. And you can see why that makes sense. Uh, But it's interesting you you really keep identity very tight in your descriptions. Would you think that's fair? Yeah, in terms of the core thing, because you can pull some, and and the strategy I'm seeing is patterns in the life and ministry of Jesus. So they're they're well worth doing. But you can say, you know, we're going to have pioneering entrepreneurial leaders, and they're the sorts of people that, that the sort of person Jesus was, sort of leaders in the field that he grew. But anybody can have pioneering, um, uh, you know, entrepreneurial leaders. So in itself, it doesn't have the life of the word, the spirit, and the mission that God's given us. So we start there, but then we do quickly need to, well, what did Jesus do? Well, he's raising up pioneering leaders and sending them to the ends of the earth. He's, his ministry is not just relational, but his ministry and the spread of the gospel follows pre-existing networks of relationships. You know, it goes from the woman at the well into the whole Samaritan village. Now, you can sell um, music or makeup or Tupperware through contagious relationships of following relational networks. You know, it's network marketing, but it's how God's made us. But of itself, it doesn't have life, okay? So you've, you've got to have identity lined up, and then you, in a disciplined and determined way, you've got to flesh that out in effective strategies, which we can find those patterns in Jesus' ministry in the life of the early church. Very good. So, Steve, you and yourself... Uh, you seem to be a student or, of movements, so you seem to kind of re- learn about them and do your best to understand them, which has come from a number of your books. Um, you've also got history as a church planter and a missionary and are now training church planters and missionaries as well as all the other things as well. So uh, I'm interested to ask you a lot of these questions because of what you've written, but also a bit of of, because of who you are and what you've done as well. So um, this, this is very interesting for me. So, okay, let's, let's start off. My, the first thing that came mm. out for me when I was reading your book is the importance of conflict. Mm. <laughs> it, it seems actually there's quite a bit of in movements coming to life, uh, an amount of conflict and how you do that well. Even at, at, even at the very beginning, there is, yeah. you, you know, you could describe how you talk about the... Um, uh, the, the wrestling with God. There's a conflict mm. with God mm. in a funny way, isn't there? I mean, is that is that just my way of reading it, or, or is that something you found as well? Actually, this sense there needs to be a tension. Well, there's a couple of different ways the conflict theme comes up. One is in the shaping of the founder or the key founding uh, people in in the birth of a movement. Uh, and the best example of how, you know, God's not just training the head and the hands of movement pioneers. He's, he's forming their identity. So, you know, Jesus is, is 
thrust or cast into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to face, you know, pure evil. <laughs> you know, this is God's yeah. empowering spirit. You think this is wonderful and, and you're in the wilderness in the fight of your life. Um, but there's also another conflict that's sometimes going on, and you see this, you know, the best one of the best examples in Scripture is Jacob, who's one of the, you know, he, he took on the, the, the name of Israel as the founder. I mean, not Abraham in a sense was the founder, but as one of the patriarchs. You know, well, God throughout the whole course of Jacob's life is wrestling with him and shaping him. So I say to, to movement pioneers, you know, expect a spiritual battle, expect a wrestle with God. But then even um, in the birth of movements, there's a lot of heat going on because there's passion, uh, there's an urgent pressing task, um, and, every, you know, declining movements are nice. You know, no one rocks the boat, or if they do, they're just quietly moved out, you know. But in pioneering movements, in that dynamic phase, there is a lot of conflict about how we're going to get the job done because everyone cares about the job. So, yeah, if if you've got a heart for movements, get ready to roll up your sleeves <laughs> and have some battles. That's yeah. That's just the pattern if you look at the life and ministry of Jesus and then other key figures like Paul. So there is a um, there is the the internal conflicts. Right? Mm. So I mean, you're absolutely right. Jesus in the wilderness, it comes up against purest evil. That's just such a great um, way of thinking about him starting a movement and mm. the pressure is under there. Um, but then you you think about a stage or two later. So in your book, you talk about St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah. Which I've been to Assisi and looked around his churches and that 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 town there, and so it was. I was fascinating to visualise him in those places. Um, but actually, there was conflict quite early on mm. with, in, in his um, in his movement in, in the, the, the Franciscan movement, uh, and um, there seems to be. Uh, it was they weren't quite at the leadership transition mm. stage, but it was an issue of identity. Do you think? Yeah, and look, Francis is perhaps one of the greatest founders in, in, of a movement in Christian history because he embodied, he lived this, this dream that he drew others into and they caught this cause and this passion. But he was a terrible organiser. <laughs> you know, he didn't want to sort of lay down rules and organise things. And so you've got a bunch of passionate people who are laying down their lives uh, for the cause um, but we don't have clarity about, you know, uh, how we're going to proceed. And so for a long time after Francis um, uh, passed away, there was just incredible conflict amongst the Franciscans. But because they'd captured his heart, tens of thousands of people joined the cause. And so, it's you know, it's splitting, it's dividing but even today, Francis inspires, whether you're Catholic or Protestants, Francis is still inspiring people. One of the great examples of uh, a pioneer who birthed the movement and then brought some uh, order and multiplication was John Wesley. Mm. So he embodied the, the vision and the values and the heart of this thing. 
But in the second phase, when they moved from birth into growth, he was a very careful builder where he was stealing ideas from whoever he could learn from, experimenting, watching what the Spirit's doing. And he's, he's laying down some key building blocks of a movement that was able to sort of channel all of that, that energy into something that changed the world. It's interesting, isn't it? This, um, I, I wonder what you think of this. The, I wonder if when in kind of modern church we talk about these things and, and as pastors we, we'll, we'll talk mm. about the, the exciting new idea and thing that is working um, and actually whether we talk a lot more about method, methodology and yeah. organisation more than we recognise that there is usually a person uh, behind it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. made it work so uh, St Francis like said a great example just such passion people ran to him Wesley the same but also had the genius of organization and that kind of level of ability um, and you, you wonder if so I'm curious do you think we underplay the importance of the leader and get too caught up in their in the results and whether we can copy yeah. the results but we're not the same person well you're, you're part of New Frontiers and I've uh, I've watched um, the development of New Frontiers now for about 30 years. Um, one of the keys uh, to what God's doing through New Frontiers now globally is the shaping of the life of a man by the name of Terry Virgo. Mm. And what Terry's been able to do is live out, this is who we are as New Frontiers right from the beginning. You know, that's the one thing that strikes you about Terry is um, he's a man under the, the living word of God, dependent on the Holy Spirit with a big heart for, for the world. But if everyone was just referencing Terry now and sending back decisions for poor Terry to make and, and if everyone just was following the, you know, the latest word from Terry, well, New Frontiers would not be a, a dynamic movement. Terry's done what good founders do. You embody, you live, you allow God to shape you, you get the heart of this thing, but then you infect other leaders and other followers and you, you, you pour what God is doing into some, some methodologies and approaches that are effective and reflect that heart. So the time comes where it's as though the movement is born out of the founder. So no longer, it's, it's like Terry's become a father and a grandfather and a great-grandfather. So there's people in New Frontiers who have no idea of who Terry Virgo is and he doesn't mind. Yes. So that's, that's what we're trying to see. The, the early days, a lot of dependence on the founder because you know, what is this that we're doing? You know, what, what is it that's happening here? But if that founder stays around long enough and is secure enough in God, the empowerment of a movement that's no longer dependent on the founder, that's, that's what great movements do and movement founders do. And do you think that is a common thing? Would you say that's what happens most of the time or not? Well, um, the Lord's got a few tricks up his sleeve because there are some founders that, you know, they grasp this thing and, you know, it's got to be prized out of their control. 
Well, the Lord has a, a great solution for that. It's called death. <laughs> so <laughs> there's built-in obsolescence here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly hope there are some movement leaders who aren't listening to this at the moment, but yeah, carry on. <laughs> Sadly, there, there, there are two equal and opposite errors. One is the founder, let's go, very laissez-faire, let's go too early. Yes. Uh, it, it, that, that heart is not embodied and it, and it goes in various, you know, different directions and it just fragments or dissipates. So that's the founder who sort of, loses their passion for the movement and, and, and doesn't raise up that next wave of leaders. The other is the founder who wants to control to their dying day. Um, the key <laughs> is actually both extremes. So in the early days, they're serving the cause and living it out and they're not giving that away very easily at all. John Wimber was great at doing this. You know, there'd be a controversy in the vineyard. He'd get everybody together and say, guys, this is what the vineyard is. And he'd put it up on the whiteboard, you know. He embodied that. But there comes a time, and, 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 and John Wimber was able to do this as well, where you've got to be that parent, grandparent, great-grandparent, and just enjoy your, your grandchildren. Um, you know, that's the ideal. I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, having been, so we, we talked a bit about New Frontiers there um, and we talked a bit about conflict at the beginning. Mm. <clears throat> and it seems that there, at the, there's the transition point, isn't there, from when the leader decides to hand on and there is conflict there. So you talk about actually maybe a, um, the, the founding father actually needs to hold on for perhaps longer than some of the people around him think he should in order to build what you would say is the most important part, which is identity. If they think it's not there, uh, they have to hold. So there's a conflict there often, isn't there? Yeah, and, and we call this the, the uh, founder's trap and mm. the yo-yo syndrome. So yes. the founder releases and then gets scared and, hold, and, and, and grabs it back again. So yes. they're doing the yo-yo thing. Release, grab it back. Release, grab it back. It's, it is like children. You're teaching them this is who we are. This is how we live. These are our values. The world is going to be a different place when you're an adult, but I'm preparing you with true north. So at the right time, I don't want to be standing over your shoulders running the budget for your house and telling you how to discipline your kids and all of that. But every now and again, you're going to check in with Grandpa because you don't know how to solve this problem with a 16-year-old who's, you know, just causing havoc at home. That's the sort of relationship that you want to transition to. Yes. And, um, and you, you can, I mean, this is a great theme, you know, even in the life of Jesus or the life of Paul, see how they did that. You know, Paul is releasing in uh, Acts chapter 20 to those Ephesian elders. He's saying, and, and these are the three things that, that will hold this ministry together. He says, remember my example, how I've lived among you. Okay, so key values are caught, not just taught. But then he says, you know, why can I, not in, these are my paraphrase, but why can I release you? Because you remember my example, you have the living word of God and you have the Holy Spirit. 
So at the right time, and this happens quite early in a movement, you've got to, to, to grow a movement, to grow leaders who own it, you've got to release authority and responsibility. Um, but like a, a great uh, parent or grandparent, you know, it's messy, but that's your job. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. So <clears throat> the, that first leadership transition phase looks like for the, for the movement to live beyond a shorter period of time, that's the key moment in the movement by the looks of it. Yeah, and it's not just I've nominated a successor. Mm. You've got to get way beyond that because it's not a movement if you can point to the successor. Yes. It's a movement if there are multiple sources of energy popping up, people who own this cause that Jesus has given us to go make disciples, to multiply disciples and churches. So now there may be a network, but it's not as though it's all being coordinated centrally. It's not being controlled by any uh, individual because it's gone from the founder and the founding group. It's become a cause that people sign up to. And this way, you know, you can even have a stream that, that goes disastrously. Well, that doesn't matter because there's another one popping up here and another one popping up there. And, and all of a sudden, you know, movements are causes. They're not organizations serve causes, but they're not, they're not the movement. There's just sort of technical distinction. Sometimes we think just because we're, 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 we've got an organization, we have a movement. No, a movement is a cause. And that is even that organizations should serve. When the organization lets go of the cause and is now serving itself and its survival and its members and its leaders, then that's no longer a movement, that's an institution. Mm, very good. And actually, thinking of uh, New Frontiers history, that is what Terry did. I mean, he was, I remember at one of the Brighton conferences, <clears throat> there was a guest speaker who effectively said, uh, Terry, you need to appoint a successor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and um, I think there, there would have been numbers of people in that room who would have agreed and thought it's going to happen mm -hmm. soon. And then the next year, Terry turns up and says, I'm not going to do that. I'm, mm -hmm. um, we're going to let this go to lots of different people. Yes. Actually. And um, yes. I think these numbers are right. At the time when Terry stepped down, I think it was something like there were 800-ish churches, mm -hmm. New Frontiers Worldwide, um, and it's about 10 years later now, maybe there's um, two and a half to 3,000. Yeah. And in some countries now, they're saying we actually, we, we don't have a way of counting how many churches yeah. there are. That, well, then you're in the middle of a movement. Where yes. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try and track it, but when it's out of your direct span of control and there's people in Africa or Asia, and again, they don't know Terry Virgo's name. <laughs> and that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Because he's embodied the cause that God has given you and they've caught that. And, and now you know, okay, it may have different names and expressions, but it's new frontiers. And this, this is a work of God, not, not just a work of one individual founder. Yes. It was, I was in a meeting a few weeks ago with um, there were church leaders from all over the world and some of them were relatively new to new frontiers. And somebody name dropped Terry Virgo. It was only happened a couple of times in the three-day kind of event. And there are a few people there you could tell had an absolutely no idea who this person was. Uh, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't know Terry very well myself, but mm. there was numbers of people who joined because of other people and because of what God had done in their part of the world and had very little to do with 
Terry Virgo all with Sussex, yeah. which, which for, for a while, New Frontiers, if it wasn't related to the southeast of England, mm-hmm. then you know, there was you had no hope. But so it's fascinating how it's how it's changed like that. Okay, that's really interesting. So uh, let's move it on a little bit. I was interested in uh, what you wrote about uh, movements that decline. Mm. Um, and so you, you have a, a, an interesting bell graph in it that, that covers the different phases. Um, and also you gave, um, I think it was at the, uh, there was a particular phase where it could go, oh yeah, so you say birth growth, um, maturity decline, decay, and then potential for rebirth. But mm. after growth, you talk about also the potential for prime for it to accelerate. Mm. Through, yeah, um, which you've given a few examples of, but I'm interested because I'm English in decline. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you, uh, if you are, so if there's somebody listening right now yeah. and they are part of a, a movement and they've mm. read your book and they realise, okay, I am part of a decline. That's what I'm. Mm. Like. I'm part of something where the organisation exists purely for itself. Yeah. How do you how do you look after your own heart? How do you have that conflict with God we've talked about? And then how do you work for rebirth? And you give some yeah. examples in your book, but uh, I'm interested to see. If yeah. You well, say. And there's two ways to answer that. The first way I'd say is don't shift responsibility onto the organisation or the institution and blame them. Uh, the the key to renewal is to make a return to that identity in Christ. Word spirit and the core missionary task of multiplying disciples and churches. You can do that as, as a struggling local church pastor or church planter. And we've got a great case study back in the 1700s of Charles Simeon at Cambridge. And he's got a dysfunctional local church, Anglican church. They don't like him. They lock him out at times so he can't even get access to the building. They don't want to hear the gospel. While he's there, he starts mentoring students at Cambridge and getting young evangelicals into Cambridge and helping position them into, first of all, mentoring them, training them as, 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 as godly leaders who are effective in making disciples and then helping get them into key churches. So he's mentoring 20 leaders a year. Now, you know, that's not massive. That's a big task, but he's got 20. He does it for 54 years. So he's got a struggling local church and he's pouring his life into some young leaders and it changes history. There's an evangelical wing of the Anglican church because of Charles Simeon. And there were movements that ultimately came out of his life and ministry. So I'd say to anybody listening, and and by the way, Simeon didn't have anyone's permission for this. And if he needed money, he had to find it himself. (laughs) <laughs> no. So no one's given him authority, but he's, yeah. he's got a call of God. He's got faith and he just works at it, at multiplying godly, effective leaders. So I'd say to everybody, you know, don't blame the institution. Just, you know, go and do something tomorrow like Simeon did. Um, but then on a, on a wider frame, if we sense, you know, because the decline doesn't begin when you start sliding down that, that other side of the bell curve. It actually begins when you're at the peak. It's what I call the failure of success. You're at the peak of that bell curve and your rate of progress is declining, but you're still at the summit. 
And what happens there is movements think our past successes will just automatically continue into the future. They forget their identity. They start, you know, reading their own press reports and it becomes what I call the failure of success. So that's a key intervention point that you've got to be willing to return to the life and ministry of Jesus. And then as you are renewed in the word and the spirit and the mission, you then take those strategy characteristics, pioneering leaders, contagious relationships, rapid mobilization, adaptive methods, and in a disciplined way, you apply them to how you do ministry. But just taking the strategy without the identity is, it, it's just not going to work. There are too many churches just getting consultants in and paying a lot of money for something that is not going anywhere. I think it's really interesting talking about the, the, the prime leader and Charles Simeon, would, I'd not, uh, not heard his story before. So I was, uh, it was a brilliant story. Mm. Um, and, and in it, you, uh, in that chapter, you, um, you quote, uh, Edwin Friedman and the non-anxious presence, which I, I cheered at cause I've read one of his books recently. And, um, right. uh, just that, that concept of, uh, being a non-anxious presence in a system that is, uh, that is broken, mm. um, just a, a just a wonderful, very liberating. Actually, the concept, Actually, you need yeah. to look after your own heart. What are you for? What are you about? Uh, and then you then you lead from that place, and it's not yeah. reactive at all. So, yeah. um, what you've talked about is you can't you you have to take responsibility for yourself. You can't blame other people. And Simeon, even as you tell the story, getting locked out of his own church. I mean, it would have yeah. it would have been quite easy to give up and move parish or or whatever, wouldn't it? Yeah. But actually, that responsibility for self uh, is just, it, that seems like a really important thing, just generally anyway, in, in church leadership, in mission thing, and actually, what am I about? If you really want to do something that it goes beyond who you are, mm. there's that internal, I don't know, that, that non-anxious presence, I suppose. And, and it, it comes back to the identity piece. It's yeah. how Jesus led. So he's very clear about who he is and, and, and what is right and wrong. Yeah. But he's also incredibly relaxed. So yes. he's got a group of religious uh, institutionalised clergy around him who are watching him, and he thinks to himself, why don't I just heal, a, you know, a lame man on the Sabbath? <laughs> yeah. And you think, we, we, I mean, there were times that he spoke very strongly to those Pharisees, but there are other times he just tells the story of the prodigal son and then the climax of the story is the oldest son outside. He won't, he won't come in and celebrate. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, come in and enjoy the party. But he's not going to be bound by them. You know, he's not trying to change Israel in the sense of, you know, here's my strategy to renew the Pharisees. He's inviting them. But if they don't want what he's offering, uh, he's very happy to, to go grab some fishermen and, and do what he does. So he's both connected and he's distinct. It's holy love, effectively. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a great change agent down in the south. It's a New Frontiers church in, um, in Essex. And Dave Barham is the leader there. 
And, you know, God started, like with Simeon, talk, speaking to him about reaching the lost. It had been a long time since he'd led someone to Christ. So he just gets a bit of training, some basics, and he says, I'm the senior pastor of a church of 500, but, you know, I'm going to go out looking, get, grab a partner, let's go out looking for God-prepared people who are far from him. And he starts leading people to Christ and making disciples in his own patch. Mm. Now he encounters God in the harvest and the Lord Jesus changes him. And as a result, you know, it takes a year or two or three, but God is doing something wonderful in the life of that church. And so, well, what was your strategy? Well, I'm just going to do what Jesus did and celebrate what, what he's doing out in the community. And it begins to bring life to churches that maybe are in danger of decline. Yeah, very good. Very good. It's really interesting. Well, we've been talking for about 40 minutes now, so um, I think we'll, we'll draw it in there. Um, but the book is well worth a read, and by the time this podcast goes out, it should be available in all the usual places yes. that you can buy books. Um, but, Steve, you're also you're going on a world tour. Let's call it that. You're, <laughs> you're like aren't you um so <clears throat> you are uh, going to be in the uk uh, specifically you're going to be uh, with us in manchester on may 9th and 10th and we're gonna and you're gonna run a workshop tell us a little bit about these workshops that you're yeah. running well um tim may 9 and 10 in manchester is the world premiere of go. the book we're going to launch the book we're going to talk about the the different things that we've just discussed now and take a lot of questions and answers and the like. And we'll be doing that in, in four locations across the UK. But Manchester's the first one on May 9 and 10, and I'm sure you can give out the details of uh, or yep. people, if they like to sort of know what's happening in, in other cities, then just go to movements.net and we'll have the latest details about the release of the book and the locations in the UK. But I think our two days... Um, or at least an afternoon and a full morning. Uh, yeah, that's going to be the world premiere of uh, of the book. And if people want to come, I'd, I'd love to see you there in Manchester. Uh, that's that's exciting. And Steve, just finally, because you're you're very interested in what you do, tell us kind of what's in the next year ahead for you. What are you excited about? What what are you looking forward to of this next year or so? Well, you know, I I I'm the last chapter of the the book looks at where is this movement stuff happening today? Yeah. And the exciting thing is, yes, it is happening in, in, in unprecedented levels in, 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 in the Muslim world, in places like India or the Philippines. But we're also seeing the first signs of breakthrough in the Western world. Um, and so I think the exciting thing for me, I'll get to visit some of those faraway places but to work with the men and women who are on the front line that are saying, you know, Jesus called us to go make disciples. So why, why are we afraid to do that? Why are we afraid of sharing the gospel with people? Why are we afraid of calling people to faith and repentance and discipleship? Let's just go do it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And that's happening all around the Western world, you know, and, it's a long story, but, you know, one of the most exciting interviews I've done in the last uh, couple of years was to hear of a movement in the U.S. prison system 
where hundreds of prisoners are turning to Christ and are gathering in groups. They can't officially call them churches, but they're discipleship groups throughout the prison system, mostly at the moment in Texas. But, you know, those stories, and there's 2.3 million Americans in prison right now. Yeah. People think, well, prisoners are a bit odd, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. they're 2 or 3% or at least a percent of the population. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, this is popping up in places, you know, wherever we've trained in the UK, whether it's been in Leicester or Manchester or down south in London, and people have implemented, we're hearing fresh stories of new disciples, new groups, new churches form. So, yeah, I'll just be, I just get to go around and encourage those folks and tell their stories. Excellent. Well, Steve, it's been fascinating talking to you. We look forward to hanging out with you uh, in Manchester. If you're interested in coming to the Manchester event, you just follow us on, uh, on Twitter, Broadcast CP on Twitter, on Facebook. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Steve said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org episode 132. See you next time.